Good morning, everybody. So this is not a podcast going over notes, but this is just going to go over the Children's Mm -hmm. Crusade reading that you have to do today. So what I'm actually going to do is, instead of you trying to scroll back and forth while reading it and then trying to answer questions, I'm going to read this out to you in its entirety so you can kind of listen to me while I'm reading, look at the questions, and then pause me once you get to the question, type out your answer, or go back to the text, read it, and type out your answer, and then continue moving forward. I think this is going to be a good way for us to do it. So I'm going to start right at the very top. I'm skipping over the directions. I'm going right on to one day in May 12-12. So, one day in May 12-12, there appeared at St. Denis, where King Philip of France was holding his court, a shepherd boy of about 12 years old called Stephen from the town of Clois in Orleanus. He brought with him a letter for the king, which, he said, had been given to him by Christ in person, who had appeared to him as he was tending his sheep, and who had bidden him go and preach the crusade. King Philip was not impressed by the child and told him to go home, but Stephen, whose enthusiasm had been fired by his mysterious visitor, saw himself now as an inspired leader who would succeed where his elders had failed. For the past 15 years, preachers have been going around the countryside urging a crusade against the Muslims of the East or of Spain or against the heretics of Languedoc. It was easy for an hysterical boy to be infected with the idea that he could, he too could be a preacher and could emulate Peter the Hermit, whose prowess had, during the past century, reached a legendary grandeur. Undismayed by the king's indifference, he began to preach at the very entrance to the Abbey of St. Denis, to announce that he would lead a band of children to rescue, to the rescue of Christendom. The seas would dry up before them, and they would pass, like Moses, through the Red Sea, safe to the Holy Land. He was gifted with an extraordinary eloquence. Older folk were impressed, and children came flocking to his call. After his first success, he set out to journey around France, summoning the children, and many of his converts went further afield to work on his behalf. They were all to meet together at Vendome in about a month's time and start out there and start out from there to the east. Towards the end of June, the children massed at Vendome. Awed by contemporary awed contemporary spoke of thirty thousand, not one over twelve years of age. There were certainly several thousand of them, collected from all parts of the country, some of them simple peasants whose parents in many cases had willingly let them go on their great mission. But there were also boys of noble birth who had slipped away from home to join Stephen and his following of minor prophets as the chroniclers called to them. There were also girls amongst them, a few young priests and a few older pilgrims, some drawn by piety, others, perhaps, from pity, and others, certainly, to share in the gifts that were showered upon them all. The bands came crowding into the town, each with a leader carrying a copy of the Oriflamme, which Stephen took as a device of the crusade. The town could not contain them all, and they encamped in the fields outside. When the blessing of friendly priests had been given, and when the last sorrowing parents had been pushed aside, the expedition started out southward. Nearly all of them went on foot, but Stephen, as befitted the leader, insisted on having a a gaily decorated cart for himself with a canopy to shade him from the sun. At his side rode boys of noble birth, 
each rich enough to possess a horse. No one resented the inspired prophet traveling in comfort. On the contrary, he was treated as a saint, and locks of his hair and pieces of his garments were collected as precious relics. They looked to the road past Tours and Lyon, making for Marseille. It was a painful journey. The summer was unusually hot. They depended on charity for their food, and the drought left little to spare in the country, and water was scarce. Many of the children died by the wayside. Others dropped out and tried to wander home, but at, the la but at, at last the little crusade reached Marseille. The citizens of Marseille greeted the children kindly. Many found houses in which to lodge. Others encamped in the streets. Next morning, the whole expedition rushed down to the harbor to see the sea divide before them. When the miracle did not take place, there was bitter disappointment. Some of the children turned against Stephen, crying that he had betrayed them and began to retrace their steps. But most of them stayed on by the seaside, expecting each morning that God would relent. After a few days, two merchants of Marseille called, according to tradition, according to tradition, Hugh the Iron and William the Pig, offered to put ships at their disposal and to carry them free of charge for the glory of God to Palestine. Stephen eagerly accepted the kind, kindly offer. Seven vessels were hired by the merchants, and the children were taken aboard and set out to sea. Eighteen years passed before there was any further news of them. Meanwhile, tales of Stephen's preaching had reached the Rhineland. The children of Germany were not to be outdone. A few weeks after Stephen had started on his mission, a boy called Nicholas, from a Rhineland village, began to preach the same message before the shrine of the three kings at Cologne. Like Stephen, he declared that children could do a better could do better than grown men, and that the sea would open to give them a path. But while the French children were to conquer the Holy Land by force, the Germans were to achieve their aim by the conversion of the infidel. Nicholas, like Peter, had a natural eloquence and was able to find eloquent disciples to carry his preaching further up and down the Rhineland. Within a few weeks, an army of children had gathered at Cologne, ready to start out for Italy and the sea. It seems that the Germans were on an average slightly older than the French and that there were more girls with them. There was also a larger contingent of boys of the nobility and a number of disreputable vagabonds and prostitutes. The expedition split into two parties. The first, numbering according to the chroniclers, 20,000 was led by Nicholas himself. It set out to the Rhine to Basel and through western Switzerland, past Geneva, to cross the Alps by Montseny Pass. It was an arduous journey for the children, and their losses were heavy. Less than a third of the company that left Cologne appeared before the walls of Genoa at the end of August, and demanded a night's shelter within its walls. The Genoese authorities were ready at first to welcome the pilgrims, but on second thoughts they suspected a German plot. They would allow them to stay for one night only, but any who wished to settle permanently in Genoa were invited to do so. The children, expecting the sea to divide before them the next morning, were content, but next morning the sea was as impervious to their prayers as had, as had uh, as it had been to the French at Marseille. In their disillusion, many of the children at once accepted the Genoese offer and became Genoese citizens, forgetting their pilgrimage. Several great families of Gen Genoa later claimed to be descended from this alien immigration, but Nicholas and the greater number moved on 
the sea would open for them elsewhere. A few days later, they reached Pisa. Their two ships bound for Palestine agreed to take several of the children, who embarked and who perhaps reached Palestine, but nothing is known of their fate. Nicholas, however, still awaited a miracle, and trudged on with his faithful, faithful followers in Rome. At Rome, Pope Innocent received them. He was moved by their piety, but embarrassed by their folly. With kindly firmness, he told them that they must now go home. When they grew up, they should then fulfill their vows and go to fight for their cross. Little is known of the return journey. Many of the children, especially the girls, could not face again the ardors of the road and stay behind in some Italian town or village. Only a few stragglers found their way back next spring to the Rhineland. Nicholas was probably not amongst them, but the angry parents whose children had perished insisted on the arrest of his father, who had, it seems, encouraged the boy out of vainglory. He was taken and hanged. The second company of German pilgrims was no more fortunate. It had traveled to Italy through central Switzerland and over the St. Gothard, and after great hardships reached the Sea of Ancona. When the sea failed to divide for them, they moved slowly down the east coast as far as Brindisi. There, a few of them found ships sailing to Palestine and were given passages. But the others returned and began to wander slowly back again. Only a, a tiny number returned at last to their homes. Despite their miseries, they were perhaps luckier than the French. In the year 1230, a priest arrived in France from the east with a curious tale to tell. He had been, he said, one of the young priests who had accompanied Stephen to Marseille and had embarked with them on the ships provided by the merchants. A few days out they had run out they had run into bad weather, and two of the ships were wrecked on an island of San Pietro, off the southwest corner of Sardinia, and all the passengers were drowned. The five ships that survived the storm found themselves soon afterwards surrounded by a Saracen squadron from A from Africa and the passengers learned that they had been brought there by arrangement to be sold into captivity. They were all taken to Bougie on the Algerian coast. Many of them were bought on their arrival and spent the rest of their lives in, cap in captivity there. Others, the young priests among them, were shipped on to Egypt, where Frankish slaves fetched a better price. When they arrived at Alexandria, the greater part of the consignment was bought by the governor to work on his estates. According to the priest there, according to the priest, there were still about seven hundred of them living. A small company was taken to the slave markets of Baghdad, and there eighteen of them were martyred for refusing to accept Islam. More fortunate were the young priests and the few others that were literate. The governor of Egypt, Al Adil's son Al Kamil, was interested in Western languages and letters. He bought them and kept them with him as interpreters, teachers, and secretaries and made no attempt to convert them to his faith. They stayed on in Cairo in a in a com in a com in a oh my They stayed on in Cairo in a comfortable captivity in, in a comfortable captivity and eventually this one priest was released and allowed them to return to France. He told the questioning parents of his comrades all that he knew, then disappeared into obscurity. A later story identified the two wicked merchants of Marseilles with two merchants who were hanged a few years afterwards for attempting to kidnap the Emperor Frederick on, on behalf of the Saracens, thus making them in the end pay for the penalty of their crimes. 
It was not the little children that would rescue Jerusalem. All right. Thank you for sticking around, especially through my hiccups. I know comfortable captivity was a tough one for me. But make sure you can pause this, replay it, and rewind if you need. All right. Talk to everyone later.